Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. You can be seated for the readings. A reading from the book of Judges. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Haber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into the temple, into his temple, until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man you are, whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subsued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Gabin, Jabin, the king of Canaan. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Please. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do just pray as we sit down to reflect on your word, we would enter a time of rest, enter a time of rest and open receiving of what you have for us today. We thank you, Lord, for your great gifts. Uh, we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone have a seat. Uh, for those I haven't met, my name is Molly Ruck. I'm married to Christian Ruck, who is a pastor here at Church of the Cross. And uh, he will be preaching the two Christmas Eve services later today. And if you're here for fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve, uh, you can let him know how he did. He said that uh, last night. He said, I wonder, I wonder which of us will win. Um, <laughs> so, so you can talk with him about that if, if you're doing the, the both and uh, of the Advent and Christmas Eve. And we are still in Advent which is why we have a reading from Judges this morning. Uh, it's, it got slipped in there because we're in an Advent Sunday. Uh, we don't have sermon titles typically in the bulletin, but if there was a sermon title for this one, I would put the title, She Said Yes, because we're going to be talking about Mary today and the proposal that Gabriel brought to her, and she said yes to it. But she said yes kind of sounds like a Hallmark Christmas movie title about a marriage proposal, and there's a lot of those at Christmas time. And typically in the Hallmark version, uh, the guy might get down on his knees, uh, do the marriage uh, proposal, and the answer might be, let me think about it. And then that sets the tone for the whole movie, and you wonder what's going to happen next. Uh, we don't have that awkwardness today. Mary knew right away, um, even kind of in that moment of being confounded by what the angel said, wondering about it, she still said yes. She said, let it be to me. And so I want to ask the question today of why do you think she said yes? Why did she say yes? Uh, why she said yes is actually the same reasons why we say yes to God. And so I want to think about her reasons for saying yes. I do think that she had the opportunity to say no throughout scripture, starting with creation. God has always given us the opportunity to say no. So why did she say yes? Her yes was so important, and actually our yes is also so important. I believe that she knew the value of what she was saying yes to, and she also had an understanding of the plan and it contributed to why she said yes. So in Mary understanding the value of what she was saying yes to, that she was saying yes to becoming the mother of the most son of the most high God, 
Obviously, she saw a lot of value in saying yes. In her uh, understanding that value, it made me think of something that happens often at Christmas time, and maybe you've observed this. Uh, if you've observed ever watching um, children open their presents and um, noticing maybe that one child opened a present um, but yet wanted the present that the other child opened. Um, or maybe you've had the experience yourself where you didn't realize actually how much you wanted something until someone else opened it. And then you're like, oh, that's a good gift. Why didn't I ask for that for Christmas? Uh, I had the experience in my grandparents' house. They actually had the tree maybe not quite as big as this, but in my mind, it looked as big as this. It reached their cathedral ceiling, and presents were typically piled like high to up to the tree. It wasn't just underneath. It was high, and it was overwhelming and completely wonderful as a child to walk in their house and see their Christmas tree. But I do remember a Christmas where my brother and my boy cousin received a gift that I'm pretty sure my girl cousin also wanted, just like I wanted. Uh, my brother received a Red Ryder BB gun. Um, I did not, and I thought it would have been really cool if I had also gotten one. Uh, I think that my cousin Tina, she also would have gotten one, wanted to get one. We were kind of in the Annie Oakley girl phase. So that's what we wanted, and I remember that Christmas. But I have to question, if I was asked on that morning, would I uh, uh, like give back a gift that I had received in order to receive that, that BB gun, would I have done it? And I think my answer would have been yes. But what if the question was, all of the presents I'd received that morning, would I be willing to give them all up in order to receive that Red Rider BB gun? I don't know what my answer would be. But it's a question of value. How much was I valuing that other gift and willing to give up then everything that I had received? When um, we think about Mary, uh, really the Annunciation is that her willingness to give up everything in order to receive what the angel has presented to her. And before we look more at her story, let's look at our New Testament reading from Philippians. Paul is talking about that understanding of valuing something. Before this section in his letter in Philippians 3, he's just described what he has given up. He had a life of a great achievement. He had status. He had comfort. He had money. He had privilege. He had a Roman citizenship, which gave him that. He basically could go where he wanted, and he could do what he wanted. He had it all, but he gave it up. In fact, he not only gave it up, but he now considers that what he gave up is really of no value. Why? He, when he compares his former life to the value of knowing Christ, nothing um, else compares. He speaks of gaining Christ, and in the words that he says of gaining Christ, it would invoke an image in people's mind of a set of scales being used to weigh and measure things. Um, and he basically says that the weight of knowing Christ and being found in Christ makes whatever is on the other side of the scale worth nothing. 
In fact, um, his old life so much doesn't even come close to his life of knowing Christ that he compares it to rubbish. And I must say that uh, I, the commentator I read on this um, passage wanted to highlight that rubbish is our tame word that we substitute for the word that in the ancient writings would have invoked images of heaps of manure and other really bad things. So Paul is wanting to use a word so convincing to his readers that the value of being found in Christ is of so much greater worth to anything else that whatever else you're comparing it to is heaps of manure. Nothing else compares. And in Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel, uh, she has this question before her, basically of like scales. Is she going to take and uh, what the angel is proposing to her to become the son, the mother of the son of God, is she going to take that and is everything else going to pale, pale in comparison? Uh, we don't know much about her like life and what what exactly the value and the loss she was weighing, but we can assume a couple of things. She was betrothed or engaged to a righteous man named Joseph at this time. And she doesn't know at this point of the angel Gabriel coming to her, she doesn't know if Joseph would stay engaged to her if she said yes to this. We know that she came from a small town. We don't know if her saying yes to this proposal from God, if that would mean that people would talk, if she's to be pregnant, maybe outside of marriage. We don't, know, we don't know, and I don't think that she knew, but she still said yes. I believe that when she said yes, it was because she heard the words from Isaiah in her mind that God himself would give a sign that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. She knew that prophecy. She knew that prophecy and she believed in that prophecy and her confidence in God was present in her life when she said yes, when she was presented with this new plan for her life, not knowing exactly where it would go. Of course, she even asked, like, how will this be? She didn't know how it would come together, but she said yes, even though it meant a loss for the sake of this gain. In Mary's life, we can see in scripture that she knew quite a number of losses but she also knew the full extent of the gain, uh, the value of being found in Christ, of having him. Even while he was being formed in her womb, she was learning the value of gaining Christ. Back to another uh, aspect of Paul's letter in the Philippians, to the Philippians. When Paul writes of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, it's the only time in all of Paul's writings that he personalizes knowing Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus Christ my Lord. The word knowing here is not just an intellectual knowing of like what you need to know for a test before you take it um, and then forgetting about it um, afterwards. This knowing is like knowing someone so well that you just... Um, have become part of their life and they've become part of your life. Uh, it's like having a friend where you can walk in that friend's house and know where to find things in the cupboard 
or it's like having a friend that you're so in such a close relationship with that like if you're together at an event, you can just tell when they want to leave. Like it's, it's knowing someone so well. And Paul says, I want to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. I w- this gaining for Paul is personal. In the same uh, commentary I read, uh, which happened to be by Gerald Hawthorne, my Greek professor way back from college, he said that Paul's yes is his whole personality, his whole response of gaining Christ. And that's Mary's response as well. It's her whole personality saying yes to Christ. And we do this because, and we can do this too, because we can know Jesus Christ as our own. He's personal to us. It's a privilege that comes from the verse 12 in our reading. Not that I've already obtained this, Paul says, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In our story of Luke, Jesus came to Mary in her womb. Then we'll see tonight and tomorrow that Jesus came to the world as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And Jesus also comes to us. And as uh, theologian uh, Hawthorne says, God takes the initiative to restore a right relationship with God. And then God's initiative must be met with a human response. So will we say yes? In thinking about saying yes, what do we have to lose? Um, Potentially, we have a lot to lose. I don't know your story, but there might be some losses in what you gain in Christ. For Paul, another um, translation of this Philippians is he said, I have accepted the loss of all things. Jesus comes to us, and I wonder if we're ready like Mary to make him our own. Mary says, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Which is similar, it even echoes Jesus' words in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done which are also similar to the words we say in the Lord's Prayer each Sunday, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because every day, in a sense, we make the exchange. We disregard all things for, the sake, for loss, for the sake of knowing Christ. Basically, we trade our wills for his will. Uh, In my home, I have a picture of Mary, of a painting of of Mary at the Annunciation, in part because I have to be reminded every day, because I'm so human, of like, am I going to say yes today? Every day, we make the exchange. We turn our will over to God, what we want to be, what we want to do, what we think we need to have. We turn it over to God, And then we accept Christ in that gain. And Paul reminds us, we cannot afford to gain the whole world if it would mean losing Christ. The value of knowing Christ and being found in him makes everything else rubbish. You can put asterisks and an exclamation point to get the full meaning of that word. This story of the Annunciation, this this picture of Gabriel coming to Mary is called the Annunciation, and it's found in art just throughout the centuries. Painters, um, sculptors have, have focused on this moment where the angel comes to Mary. 
Uh, but in many paintings, medieval manuscripts, and other places, there's two other stories of women that are often paired with this painting of the Annunciation. And those stories are of Jael, who we have in our Old Testament reading, and a woman named Judith. Uh, actually, one of my favorite buildings is the Milan Cathedral in Italy, and it has the Annunciation sculpted onto the facade, front and center, and then it has this picture of Jael and this picture of Judith uh, flanking either side. Uh, now, if you were listening to our Old Testament reading, you might think, how on earth um, is the story of Jael paired with Mary? Uh, what is the similarity? One seems very violent, and one seems very cozy. Uh, and uh, so what, what do we have actually going on here with the Annunciation um, being considered in light of these other um, pictures? Let me just go over the story again of Jael and then introduce you to the story of Judith if you don't know that story yet. Jael is a story um, that we find in Judges where uh, the land of Israel has just been overcome by enemies. Sisera is the enemy, uh, general of the enemy army and he's been oppressing Israel for 20 years. And so the enemy army has been defeated but Sisera has not. And that's a problem, because as long as he lives, Israel is still threatened. In this picture, though, we have the story, we see that it's a woman who takes care of defeating Sisera. She gives him milk, and with that soporific effect, he falls asleep, and um, she is able to do her work with a tent peg. Um, Judith is a story that's similar. It's a story actually from the Apocrypha, which isn't in our sacred scriptures, but is also a writing about the people of Israel and God's work in their lives. And in this story, Judith uh, takes matters into her own hands because her people of Israel are afraid of the enemy, whereas Judith is not. She knows that God will save them. So she goes to the enemy camp, awaiting her time to take action which comes on the fourth night where the general of that army, Holofernes, falls asleep drunk and she takes his own sword and brings him to an end. So if you want the full story, you can read that and look it up online. Uh, these two stories of Jael and Judith are quite violent in their similarity. So why on earth is Mary's story in the Annunciation paired with them. It's paired with them because early church writers and people throughout uh, history have seen that Mary's yes to God's proposal was in itself a, an act against the enemy. In a sense, it was its own, her yes was its own violent act against spiritual forces of darkness. Mary's yes was part of the salvation story, just like J.L. and Judith in their actions were centered on believing that God had a plan for salvation. And that's another reason why Mary said yes and why we say yes, is that we hold on to this belief in God's plan of salvation. Mary's part was small, but it was mighty. It was mighty in the work of God saving. Throughout history of the church, Jael is seen as a precursor to Mary. 
And Mary in scripture is seen as a precursor to the church. She represents for us the church. And in that representation, we have the role of doing battle. You may say, in when we say yes to saying, let it be to me as you have said, we're doing battle. We're saying yes, and we're part of the salvation story. So it's not by sword in many of our cases, uh, like Jael or Judith, but it's in our yes. Another commonality between these stories is that all three of these women in sacred writings, they're the only women who are said of them, blessed are you among women. In the song of Deborah, he says, she sings of Jael, most blessed women of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, she gave him milk. Judith is praised by the elders as being the most blessed of women when she returns to show them the defeat of the enemy. And it's Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who says of Mary, blessed are you among women. When Mary goes to her after learning from the angel that Elizabeth herself is pregnant because nothing is impossible for God. Mary responds to Elizabeth's greeting of being called blessed by acknowledging that she is blessed. And in our uh, offertory today, we'll hear some of the words that she said in um, her reception of that blessing. We call it the Magnificat, that song of Mary. It's one of the church's eight most ancient prayers said by the church. We say it each day in our evening prayer service. Mary's Magnificat, when she says that the Lord will fill the hungry with good things, the mighty he will bring to an end, he will raise up the humble, he will do this work of what seems impossible, because nothing is impossible for him. And when we say those words, we know that we're part of this salvation story. In this morning service, I kind of feel like we are right on that precipice of moving into Christmas. I don't know about you, but like literally it won't be, I don't even think I'll be going down the steps of this building and I'll be thinking about my to-do list of what needs to be done for the Christmas feast. Um, hopefully, like you've actually been able to be involved in the sermon and let your to-do list go, um, uh, but we're on the precipice of diving into the great feast of Christmas. But before we do that, before Advent ends, I just wanna think about uh, kind of what Advent means for us. Advent is really that season of recognizing our need for a savior. In our family, I don't know why we say this, but we always say, I need, I need, I need, which maybe is from a movie, I don't know, but it's kind of a saying in our family, I need, I need, I need, and in a sense, that's what Advent is. It's that recognition of our need. But Christmas in our society could be summed up, I want, I want, I want. I want everyone to get along at Christmas time tonight. I want to do uh, my New Year's resolutions this next year and have them happen. I want this trip. Uh, I want this for my children. I want, I want, I want. And in Mary's life, especially in this picture of the Annunciation, what we see is that what we want and what we need are really the same things. We need a savior, and actually, if we've really understood our wants, 
We want that as well. And what Christmas time then brings is the recognition of what we have. We have, we have. We have Jesus Christ as Savior. I want to just end with two more little pictures of what this looks like to have Christmas, to have Jesus come to us. And I'm going to use two little pictures that Jesus himself said about what we have. The first is a picture of a man who finds a treasure in a field, maybe by accident, maybe he's looking, I don't know, but he finds this treasure and he's so excited about it that he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to buy the field. Jesus also had the story of another picture of someone, a merchant of pearls, who was always searching for that best pearl, that pearl, that unimaginable pearl, and he finds it one day. And so he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that pearl. Jesus is saying in those stories, I'm the treasure. I'm the pearl. You can have me because I have already chosen you. We have him. So in this Christmas, we, our need and our want is aligned, and our need and our want is aligned in what we have. It's a beautiful picture of why we say yes to Jesus. Um, there are some of you here who I don't know, and I don't know if you've said yes to Jesus, but you could today. Um, some of you here might be like, maybe I said yes a long time ago, but I haven't really lived in that experience of knowing what I've gained. And so today, if you even want to pray with someone before Christmas time starts, um, you could pray with someone during communion or you could find me after the service. But I want all of us to confidently, like Mary, even with some of her, like she, her confusion, still had a confidence of saying yes. Let it be to me. I'm the Lord's servant. Let's do that together. On this Christmas time, as we move from Advent to Christmas, let's confidently say yes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I want us to be like Mary, who are your servants, uh, but your servants because we know you. We know you as so good. We know you as of such great value. We know you as someone who has the best plan already in place. And so, Lord, um, as we move into Christmas tide, I pray that we move with the confidence in your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.